We're going to look tonight at part number five in our series on In Whom. For the past four weeks, we have studied who we are in Jesus Christ. The phrase in whom is used seven times in the book of Ephesians. And uh, the first four mentioned in uh, the first chapter, in whom we have redemption, verse 7 of chapter 1. Verse 11 of chapter 1 says, in whom we also, uh, also we have obtained an inheritance. Uh, verse number 13 of the first chapter says, in whom ye also trusted. The end of verse 13 says, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. But tonight we move from chapter number 1 to chapter number 2. And the next two in whom's are found one verse after the other. And they present to us, and in many ways what we have tonight, these verses are paired together. And I want to try to be very explicit tonight in what I say. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor, and I'm going to ask you to pay very close attention to me tonight. I guess we ought to always do that, but it's more vital tonight than it is at other times. I don't want to be misunderstood, but I want to present the Word of God plainly. And uh, if, if you're not careful, you'll hear this message and you'll think I'm in the ditch on one side of the road or in the ditch on the other side of the road. But I want to present a biblical perspective of these two verses, of verse 21 in particular. And I want to say a word about the church tonight. The Bible says in verse number uh, 21, well, I'll tell you what, we'll begin in verse 19. The Bible says, now remember, Paul's writing this to the Gentile Ephesians. And he says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. Notice this in whom? In whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22 has our second in whom. We're not going to preach on it tonight, but we wouldn't be doing the first in whom justice if we didn't mention it, because it says, in whom ye also. Now that phrase, ye also, is key to what we're going to study tonight. In whom ye also are builded together. That word is important. Together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. Let's pray together tonight. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you bless your word that you glorify your name and uplift your Holy Son, Jesus Christ, tonight. Appreciate all the singing and poems and everything, Lord, that you've allowed us to have tonight. But now help us as we focus on your word to draw from it, Lord, what you'd have for us this evening. If there's one amongst us that's lost and undone, show them that they are lost and undone. Show them their need of Calvary. One that's discouraged that you'd uplift them tonight, Lord. One that's haughty that they'd be abased. And God, you know what the heart's need is tonight. So we just pray you'd meet it according to your will. We love you tonight, Lord. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we read the Word of God in these two verses in particular, verse 21 and 22, we find that two separate entities are spoken of concerning the church. Or could I put it this way? Two separate descriptions are given concerning the church. Now, if you was to say, preacher, what do you believe about the church? And some of these terminologies are not going to mean anything to you tonight. Some of you, this will mean something too. There are basically two opposing thoughts concerning the New Testament church. If you were to look at these things in a, in, in a absolutely polarized sense, and there's what the, uh, what some would call the universal church doctrine. In other words, meaning, that all of the church is universally the church and that that's the only church 
that has preeminence and priority in the Scriptures. I would say to you that I reject that notion and thought tonight. The other side is what we might call the Baptist brighter theology. Now you say, preacher, what do you mean by that? Uh, the belief that only the Baptist church, or sometimes even more specifically, only a particular Baptist church, is considered the bride of Christ, and that the only sense or form of the church in this world is the idea of the local church. In other words, to say there is no broad group. In other words, to say that believers that have been bought by the blood of Christ are not knit together in any way, that the only body of Christ is the local church. And I would say tonight I reject that doctrine as well. And you remember I said I don't want to be in the ditch on either side, but I want to present a purely biblical understanding of this doctrine. And let me say that in these two verses, we have the church as the invisible body of Christ presented in direct, direct juxtaposition. That's an expensive word, you know. In other words, side by side with the local church in verse 22. Now, I want to read it again. I want you to keep that in mind as I read these two verses. It's key to what we're talking about. The Bible says, in whom all the building. Now, what is the context that Paul is speaking here? Let me tell you something. If you don't understand the Bible in its context, you don't understand the Bible. Amen? If we don't know what the Bible's teaching, we may figure out what we want the Bible to mean, but that doesn't mean anything. If we don't understand what the Bible means, then we don't understand anything. Paul is writing to Gentile believers. And as he writes to Gentile believers, he speaks of the fact that the Gentiles have been accepted into the beloved through the blood of Jesus Christ, that the Jews, while they are God's earthly people, do not in any way have a precedent in the body of Christ. But that the Gentiles that have put their faith in Jesus Christ have been accepted in the beloved and spiritually they have been made of the seed of Israel and they are a part of the promises of God and a part of the privilege of Jesus Christ. Paul, you must remember, is a Jew. And you'll find this truth all through the book of Ephesians as he relates this truth. Paul will say something about himself, and then he'll make this statement. He'll say, ye also. Look back in chapter number 1, and I'll show it to you again. Uh, look what he says in verse uh, number 12. He says that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. Now, who's he talking about? The Bible says, uh, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Those that have first put their faith in Christ. And Paul is speaking of Jews, that the gospel came first to the Jews. And there were Jewish believers before there were Gentile believers in the economy of God's church. And he says, we first trusted. And then he uses this term in verse 13, in whom ye also trusted. So Paul's saying, we Jews have put our faith in Christ, but you also, as Gentiles, have put your faith in Christ. And he speaks of the middle wall of partition that has been taken down in, in uh, chapter number 2 and verse 14. And so what he's speaking of when he says all the building is fitly framed, and then he goes on in verse number 22 and he says, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation. What Paul is drawing a line between is the unity of the invisible body of Christ versus the unity of the expression of that body of Christ in a local assembly. And you'd say, preacher, what, what would you boil it down? What do you believe about the church? I believe this about the church. I'm going to try to explain this tonight. I believe that every single believer is unified through the blood of Jesus Christ and through the, through the Holy Spirit of God. And I believe that we have a common bond and a common fellowship because we have a common Savior. Now, with that said, let me be very explicit in saying this. I believe the only biblical expression of the body of Christ is the local autonomous church. 
I believe that the example of the body of Christ in this world is the local church. I believe the expression of that body is the local church. In other words, I reject the notion of a universal church. I reject the notion of everybody sitting around and holding hands and kumbaya doesn't matter what we believe about the Word of God or about doctrine. I reject that wholeheartedly tonight. But you'll never convince me that a person that is born into the family of God is not my brother or my sister in Jesus Christ. And so tonight I want us to pay extra close attention to this first in whom, and I want to say a few words about what I'm going to call the invisible. Not the universal, but the invisible body of Christ. In other words, this group of believers that we are knit together in the Spirit of God and blood of Christ, through the Word of God, we have been knit together because we're in the family and the household of God, as is spoken of in verse uh, number 20. Look at what it says in verse 21. Uh, The Bible likens this body to a building that is fitly framed. Now, verse 22 is going to liken the local church to a building as well. Uh, But we find in verse 21 that this invisible body is likened unto a building. And I want to say a few words first off about the foundation of this building. Now, we're given a hint of it there in verse number 20 when it says, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. But this is where it's key. Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. And I would ask this question, what is the criteria for being a part of the body of Christ? Stop and consider that for a moment. What is the criteria for being a part of the body of Christ? Can I give you a few things I don't believe it is, or a few things that I don't believe the invisible body of Christ is centered upon? Can I say that the invisible body of Christ, its foundation is not denominationalism? In other words, you say, preacher, what do you mean? I mean this, I'm a Baptist. You know that? I mean, I'm a Baptist with a capital B. I mean, I'm as Baptist as it gets. I'm so Baptist, I eat fried chicken for other people. That's how Baptist I am. Okay? I'm as Baptist as it gets. But my Baptistic beliefs is not what makes me a Christian. But rather that I put my faith in Jesus Christ. You can be as Baptist as Baptist gets. And let me go a little further and let me say, you ought to be. Is that okay to say? I mean, hey, if we're going to be Baptists, we ought to believe in Baptist doctrine. I I mean, I'm, I'm a Baptist because I believe that it's biblical doctrine. And so I believe it's right for a person to be a Baptist. But there's people that are Baptists, and let me say there's people that are part of local churches. And let me say this, if the local church is the only body of Christ, then the body of Christ has unsaved people in it. We okay tonight? Is that not true? Because there's lots of people that are part of local assemblies that have never accepted Christ as their personal Savior. And just because you're Baptist, that's not good enough. By the same token, if a person was to be a Methodist, we love our Methodist brethren. We do. We've got Methodists. I mean, we've got, they don't show up when it rains. Or I guess Baptists don't show up. They don't want to get, they don't show up when it floods. Amen. Neither do the Baptists. But uh, you say, preacher, could a Methodist be saved if they put their faith in Jesus Christ and in His finished work on Calvary and in it alone? then yes, they can. No denominational label is going to determine whether a person is saved or unsaved because it's not centered around denominationalism. Presbyterians traditionally have believed in five-point Calvinism. And five-point Calvinism, by the way, has the reverse side of work salvation in it. Uh, The the Arminian belief, or uh, what we might identify with Pentecostalism or the the Church of God movement, uh, in the belief that our works get us to heaven... The Calvinists believe the 
opposite side of that, but still believe in a work salvation, in saying that if you don't maintain works, it's because you're not going to heaven. And you say, preacher, could a Presbyterian be saved? If they put their faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and the finished work of Christ on Calvary, Him alone. Yes, they can. Let me go a, a, a link further. Could a Roman Catholic be saved? Not a very good one. Say, preacher, what do you mean? I mean, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that salvation is through the church and its sacraments. And so if a person is an adherent to Roman Catholic doctrine, then they cannot be saved because they are putting their faith in the church. But a person may have been born into a Catholic family or even go to a Catholic church, but if they have put their faith in the finished work of Christ on Calvary, label them whatever you want, but they are a born-again believer. It's not denominationalism. Can I say that the centering of this body, the foundation, listen carefully, is not evangelism. Not evangelism. There's plenty of people that are preaching the gospel that have never been saved. So I don't believe it, preacher. Look in Luke chapter number 9. Judas preached right along with them. Their common goal may be to tell people about Jesus Christ. But that does not make them a part of the body of Christ. The foundation is not evangelism. The foundation is not cooperative effort. The, 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 the foundation is not fellowship one with another. The foundation is one thing and one thing alone. And that's the finished work of Christ on Calvary. Let me give you a third thing, and I believe it's valid to say this today. The centerpiece or foundation of the body of Christ, I'm talking about the invisible body of Christ, the body of Christ as a whole, is not socialism. You say, why does that matter, preacher? Because socialism has crept into the mindset of the vast majority of missions programs in churches today. You say, preacher, are you saying we shouldn't do things to help people? Help them. We ought to help them. We ought to help them. But let me say this. I'm not interested in putting shoes on their feet just so they can go to hell with, with nice feet. I'm not interested in putting food in their bed. You say, preacher, are you against it? No, if that's a means to reaching them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm for that. I'm for that. I've heard people say before, well, I'd rather let them die and go to hell than get buy them a hamburger. Not me. I'd buy them a whole McDonald's if that'd get them to heaven. Amen? But let me say something tonight. Socialism or socialistic efforts without the power and thrust of the gospel, God's not interested in that. You can build a well for them, give them water. God bless you, that's wonderful. But if you don't give them the living water, you've done nothing. You can give bread and put it in their belly, and that's wonderful. But if they don't have the manna from heaven, it doesn't mean anything. Socialism is not the centerpiece of what we ought to be doing. It's not the foundation of the body of Christ. What is the foundation? Let me give it to you in just a quick word. The book of 1 Corinthians. By the way, 1 Corinthians gives us more about the church than any other book in the Word of God. And in chapter 3 and verse 11, the Bible says, For other foundation can no man lay then that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The criteria for being part of the body of Christ is that you have been bought by the blood of Christ and you've been born into the family of God. You've been born again. If you have that, and can I say very clearly too, listen carefully. I know some of y'all is born you to tears, but we need it anyway, amen? We don't like our cough medicine, but we take it when we need it, okay? Listen carefully tonight. The admission of someone as your brother and sister in Christ, is in no way an endorsement or a condoning of their false doctrine. Isn't that true? There's plenty of people that are my brothers and sisters in Christ that are wrong, 
when it comes to what they believe about very many things. But they're still my brother and sister in Christ. There's a lot of people who probably say that about this preacher too. The fact of the matter is, just because they're a part of the body of Christ, that doesn't mean they're right with God. Now, they may be right with God in the sense that their sins have been forgiven, but that doesn't mean that they're right with God in the sense of fellowship with Him. Let me ask you something. How many of y'all have had kids before? Did they always behave? Anybody? Were they still your kids? Sure they were. How many of you had brothers and sisters? Did they always do right by you? No, but they were still your brother and your sister. You didn't condone what they were doing or the way they were living, but you still loved them because they were your brother, they were your sister. It's not a condoning of these things. The foundation is Jesus Christ and Him alone. Now listen carefully, listen carefully to what I'm about to say. I want to say a word about the framing of this body. The framing. The Bible says, in whom all the building fitly framed together. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tonight. I know we're in a hurry, so you turn fast and I'll try to read fast. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want you to look at verse number 4 with me. And I want to ask a very simple question tonight. I think it's worth asking, who is it that frames this body together? Now, this is important for one major reason, because it affects Christianity in the world today. Whose responsibility is it to determine who's a part of this body and who's not? Whose responsibility is it to fitly frame this building together? Now, again, we're not talking about the local assembly, but the invisible body of Christ. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse number 4. The Bible says, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, and to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, divers kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit. Now notice this, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one. Now listen, we either believe that tonight or we don't. For as the body is one. And hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many or one body, so also, now listen carefully, so also is Christ. You say, why is that important, preacher? Because it's going to clear up some bad doctrine for you. It doesn't say, so also is the church, or so also are churches. You say, why is that important, preacher? Because there's many churches. But we're talking about the invisible body of Christ here, because it says, so also is Christ. Christ is not divided. Isn't that what the Bible says? There's one Christ. So also is Christ. I understand this has a particular application to each individual local assembly. I understand that. But I believe also it applies to this invisible body of Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Now listen carefully to what I'm about to say here. If you try to make this a water baptism, you you create more problems than you've solved. Because that tells me a number of different things. One thing that it tells me is that as a local pastor, if that's water baptism as a local pastor, I have the authority and the ability to withhold someone from the body of Christ. I don't know about you, neighbor, but I don't think God gave me that kind of authority. I'm, I'm being honest now. But beyond that, the Bible says you're all one, Jews and Gentiles. Who's he talking to? He's talking to a Gentile church. 
And he says Jews and Gentiles. In other words, the group of people that Paul's talking to, he could have said Gentiles, but he didn't. He said Jews and Gentiles. He's talking to a group of Gentile believers. You say, what are you trying to prove, preacher? I'm trying to prove this. Uh, there's a hundred and some odd times that the word church is used in the Bible. And ninety-something of them, they're speaking of the local church. And I believe in the local church. But I want you to grasp that the local church is a mirror image of the invisible body of Christ. It is the expression of that body. And so there's validity for the belief and focus on the local church. And I'm as local church as it gets. But you're never going to get me to believe that Wall Ridge Baptist Church is the only body of Christ in the world. You're never going to get me to believe that. I read in my Bible and I find that it's the Lord that fitly frames these people together. Can I say to you that only the Lord in heaven knows how big the invisible body of Christ is? I don't know that. I kind of like what, uh, what Brother Eric Peters said when he was preaching. And he was preaching, he was talking about uh, the jail ministry and that they had seen uh, so many people saved. And uh, he made the statement, I guess he'd been asked this before, but he said, uh, you know, people ask me, how many of them people you reckon got saved? And I always tell them as many of them as called on Jesus Christ by grace through faith. I don't know. We went to camp. We had 51 kids at camp. 14 of them made professions of faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Not rededications, not reassurances, but 14 of them made professions of faith. That we, and we checked them, by the way, about two or three days afterwards before camp was over. We'd go to them, we'd ask them, did you mean business? Do you still mean it? Was it real? And they said, yes. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know about anybody but me. I know I'm saved, but I don't know about you. I don't know about you. That's one of my issues with the notion of closed communion. Now, I believe in close communion, if you know what I mean. I don't think if somebody's living in sin, I don't think we need to administer the Lord's Supper to them. But at the end of the day, we don't even know if, if everybody in this church building is saved, do we? We don't know that. We have no way of knowing that. Only the Holy Spirit of God can do that. Only He can deal with hearts. Only He can fitly frame the building Together, we see the framing. I want you to notice the second thing. This is important, and I'm going to deal with this for just a moment. We see the function of this building. There's one word that's used that's a present tense verb concerning this building. Only one word. It does not say it does a multitude of things, but only one thing. And it's the word groweth. Groweth. Isn't it interesting that the Bible doesn't say that this building worketh? It does not say that this building worshipeth. It does not say that this building cooperateth. <laughs> it says one thing, it groweth. Groweth. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. The invisible body of Christ has only one responsibility, and only the Lord in heaven can keep it accountable, and that's its growth. It's never... Let me be very careful and very explicit. You know that churches are never called to come together to cooperate in work. I know that don't sound good to some of you, but read your Bible tonight. Never once do we see the church at Ephesus going and helping the church at Philippi. Never once. Oh, they sent monetary support. And beyond that, I don't have a problem with that, by the way. I really don't. But never once do we see a local church putting aside doctrine. Putting aside doctrine. Putting aside doctrine to cooperate with anyone. You know why? Because this invisible body, this group of believers is never called to do that. We're not called to do that. This notion of global evangelism. Listen carefully to me tonight. You say, shouldn't we evangelize the world? Yeah, I believe local assemblies ought to evangelize the world. I believe we ought to, we ought to send out missionaries. I believe we ought to support missions. I believe we ought to do that. I believe that's scriptural. But this notion of many churches coming together for this cooperative thrust and cooperative effort is totally unscriptural. You won't find it anywhere in the pages of God's Word. It's totally unscriptural. 
There's one thing that this invisible body is called to do. You say, what about the visible body of Christ? What about the local assembly? Well, the Bible says that we're to uh, be builded together. There should be unity in the local church. And there ought not to be feuding and fighting and disunity amongst brethren. I don't believe God is advocating disunity in the invisible body of Christ. But never are we called to come together to do anything. Never. Isn't that the wonderful thing about being an autonomous body? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that nobody can tell Walridge what to do? You say, well, preacher, I don't know about that. Wait till they start trying to change the Bibles. Wait till they start trying to change God and Christ honoring music. Wait till they start trying to bring in work salvation. Then we'll appreciate autonomy. Amen? You say, preacher, you sound like you don't like other churches. I love other churches. I love other churches. I believe that one of the purposes of this body, well, we'll get to that in a moment. The function, the only function, is that it groweth. It groweth. And only God in heaven can keep that accountability. Never once are we called to come together to do anything, but local bodies are to effectively carry out the Great Commission in an individualistic manner. You say, why is that, preacher? And I give you a lot of reasons, but let me give you one basic one. There was one time in the Old Testament, there's a school of prophets spoken up. And there's two things we know about it. One, that it got too big for its own good. And two, that there was death in the pot. And when there's death in the pot, listen carefully tonight. When there's a bunch of people eating out of the common pot, and when there's death in the pot, it affects everybody. Let me tell you something. You say, why are we not part of an association? Well, two reasons. One, it's not scriptural. You know, I am an independent Baptist because it's scriptural. I'm not an independent Baptist because I hate Southern Baptists, because I don't hate Southern Baptists i got friends and family and loved ones that are Southern Baptists. I, I know good Christians that are Southern Baptists. I'm, I'm not an independent Baptist because I dislike Southern Baptists. I love Southern Baptists. I'm not an independent Baptist. Listen carefully now. I'm not an independent Baptist because the Southern Baptist movement is predominantly liberal. And it is. Preacher, now you're being harsh. I'm calling it like I see it. That's what we've been called to do as preachers, isn't it? They're using other versions of the Bible. Uh, they're allowing all kinds of mess. They're allowing tongue-talking in their missions program. Uh, they, they look at the statistics coming out of Southern Baptist seminaries. The vast majority of these young men have doubts about the virgin birth and the deity of Christ. It's eat up with liberalism. But I'm not an independent Baptist because they're liberal. Can I say that if the independent Baptists predominantly were stark, raving infidels, and if the Southern Baptist Convention was the most conservative and fundamental organization in the entire world, I'd still be an independent Baptist. Do you know why I'm an independent Baptist? Because it is scriptural to be an independent Baptist. That's why. You see, uh, when we start putting man-made restrictions on this thing, that's when we start getting misnomers and cross-wires and miscommunications. I'm not an independent Baptist because I dislike anybody. I'm an independent Baptist because I love the Word of God. I, I just think we ought to do things by the Word of God. You say, what do you think about a Southern Baptist? Well, I think they ought not to be a Southern Baptist. That's the only thing I think about. They may love the Lord. They may not love the Lord. They may be a better Christian, a better soul winner than me, and there's plenty of them out there. I don't think that they're a bad person because that. But my admission that they're part of the body of Christ is not my endorsement of the falsity of a doctrine. That's the beauty of being autonomous. We have no say in what any other church around here does. They have no say in what we do. Do you see us feuding and fighting with them? I don't. I mean, you may. You may be fighting with them. I don't know. I, I, I'm not fighting with any of them. I appreciate every man that preaches a pure gospel and that takes a stand for the Word of God. I appreciate every man that does that. But I still have no calling to come together with him. 
for some kind of evangelistic effort. I know what I'm preaching tonight ain't popular. I get that. I understand that. But I wouldn't love you if I didn't preach the truth to you. I read this Bible and I don't find we're ever called to do that. And if you can find it, you come find me and show me. I'd love to see it. But when I read in my Bible, I find that this invisible body, this group of believers is never called to come together to do anything. They merely grow. You say, oh, the church came together all the time. Yeah, local churches came together all the time. The church came together. They broke bread. They fellowshiped. And I, you know, I love it. One of my favorite times around here is when we have revival time. And uh, part of the reason I love that, I love to see people from other churches. I think it's a wonderful and beautiful thing. And I'm kind of like the old preacher said, it's a lot like what heaven's going to be like. But there's no calling to do that. There's no expectation to do that from the heart and mind of God. Certainly we ought not be feuding and fighting with other believers, but there's no call to, to come together to do those things. And certainly I believe we're dishonoring God when we lay aside doctrine for the sake of doing it. Because the purpose is not evangelism. The purpose is not socialism. The purpose is not denominationalism. There's just a few purposes to this body, and I just want to give them to you very quickly. We see the finished product. What is God doing with this temple? I got to think about what a temple's for. I got to thinking about that, and I believe there's three things. And I believe that this is God's design behind this body that He's put us in. I, I believe one of them is that a temple, the express purpose of a temple is that of sacrifice. Sacrifice. You go into a temple and you would sacrifice. That would be the purpose of it. And can I say that I believe one of the things that this invisible body is doing, known only to God in heaven, is that they through their lives are sacrificing to the God of heaven. Sacrificing the uh, offering of praise of their lips, of the giving of their money, of the giving of their time and their effort and their expenditures. I believe they're sacrificing that to the Lord. Let me say there's another function or another uh, purpose, not another function, but another purpose, and that is worship. God created us for His glory and for His worship. That's why He created us. And part of the purpose of this invisible body, and I don't mean to come together for the purpose of worship, but I mean part of the existence of this body, the reason for this existence is to worship the Lord of heaven. That's why we exist. As we worship God in our local assembly and others worship Him in their local assemblies, God is worshipped and honored. And let me give you a third reason. That's glory. That's the purpose of a temple. One of the reasons a temple is built is to give glory to the God of that temple. And you know the purpose of the church is to bring glory to God. If we miss that, we've missed it all. We've missed it all. The purpose is to bring glory to God. That is, that is why we draw breath today, is to glorify Him. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 says, that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ. The praise of His glory. Now, next week, we're going to talk a little bit about the local assembly, what it does, the purpose, the function of that local assembly. But let me just say this tonight in closing to encourage you. Some of you probably have loved ones that you don't agree with some of the things they believe. I do. Can I tell you, if they put their faith in Christ as their Savior, you don't have to condone what they disbelieve or what they don't believe correctly. You can still love them. You can still love them. You can still care about them. You can still be kind to them. You can still show them the love of God. You can still make an impact in their life. And can I say, some of you probably have loved ones that you don't believe is saved. We don't know. We know only of ourselves. But you have loved ones you're concerned about. Can I encourage you tonight in saying this? They can get in and be a part of that body if they'll put their faith in Jesus Christ.
They don't have to join this church or any other church to be a part of that. Isn't that right? The foundation is Jesus Christ. They don't, they don't have to join this church or any other church to do that. They need only put their faith in Jesus Christ. They, they, don't have to, they don't have to be the best soul winner in the world. In fact, if they're lost, they probably wouldn't even know what they've given the gospel about. All they have to do, the only criteria is the gospel, the, the person of Jesus Christ.